Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good afternoon, good evening, ladies and germs. Welcome to Agitators Anonymous. This is Alan Averill. And welcome to episode, well, who knows, closing in on 200. Who would have thunk it? Well, today's episode is an extract from a discussion I had for a upcoming book. Um, which was primarily about UK black metal, um, and obviously Ireland, uh, the South is not in the United Kingdom, but Primordial played a part in that scene back in the day, and we played a lot in England in the mid-90s, were signed to English labels, played with a lot of those old bands, and so um, they thought it it's part of the Cult Never Dies um, production team with Dale Patterson, some of you might know the name. We might speak to him in the course of time also. But it's just an extract from an interview I did about it, which quite often some people ask me about black metal, about my thoughts on, well, where it is today, back in the day, etc. And it's an unusual topic to um, dredge the memory with because uh, this was something we talked ad nauseum about in 1990, 91, 92, every fanzine interview back in the day was obsessed with this topic and you just sort of you know rattle along with your own life and the decades go by and then someone sort of brings up some memories from back in that moment and this interview um, discusses some of those things orthodox black metal uh, my opinions about where black metal is now back then when we started what we considered to be black metal was there a scene wasn't there a scene who was interested the labels um it comes in two parts, but this first part is really, I suppose, more about the music and the ideology and all that kind of thing. So I thought it might interest some of you. Now, the sound um, isn't brilliant. I sound like I'm maybe on a, some uh, long-distance phone call from the 1920s, but I've done the best I could, and some of you might find it interesting. So... The podcast, as always, is sponsored by Metal Blade Records, 40 years of independent history, which I can tell you stands for and means a lot in nowadays terms um and you can go there you need that bastard irish green version of the new primordial of course you do you use the promo code aa24 and you will get 10 percent off your order from indiemerch.com follow the links 
and below especially um pertinent if you are in um north america listening to me because that 10 percent can be quite a lot although they do ship worldwide uh secondary this podcast sponsorship uh the bandwise um is adversary from ireland um, uh, a new band it's kind of doom death stuff and by now you might have this i'm recording this the day before but you probably will have heard um, a whole song on Tuesday so just reiterating that adversary follow the links go to the band camp support the band click on a monthly follow all that kind of stuff alright then let's get into it a discussion for Cult Never Dies about black metal I, I was interested in your your perspective I guess on, on uh, oh so many things but sure. uh, um, okay let's go back to the beginning then uh, so when you were getting into black metal, what was it that drew you into it? Um, well, I guess... First off, getting into heavy metal, um, I suppose, was the mid-80s. And going from heavy metal into thrash with speed metal, um, it sort of became pretty clear to me somewhere around about 87, 88 that I was really more attracted to, um, I suppose, the dramatic or the fantastical or um, the uh, the likes of Celtic Frost or Possessed or, you know, Show No Mercy style Slayer than I was to Nuclear Assault Testament, the sort of jeans and T-shirt stuff. And even though I liked crossover stuff in 88, 87, when Death Metal came out and I started tape trading, um, I, I really, you know, the division was pretty clear in my head that I was far more interested in Hellhammer, Merciful Fate, and Venom, and, and you know, the sort of darker, satanic, um, you know, traditional uh, elements of heavy metal. And I suppose, you know, in the beginning, black and death metal was more or less the same thing, tape trading. You look at Altars of Madness or, you know, post-abominations of desolation. Uh, stuff in the beginning, it was pretty similar. But as death metal grew bigger into the early 90s and took on more punk and grind punk, once the, the two paths started to diverge. And by about 89, I started to take trade for like Rodden Christ, Master's Hammer, um, you know, Blasphemy. Um, and then you could see there was something else going on. And that's um, slowly but surely, um, I got just totally sucked into that thing. And by the time death metal had sort of played itself out, in maybe 91 end of 91 um, by 1991 I was completely immersed in you know black metal and tape trading and I did a fanzine from like the end of 89 to 96 um, but we're going to start in the summer of 91 um, so we're sort of finding our feet musically what to do but certainly we were um, all in with that, that second wave of black death and doom metal um, and, you know, like I said in the beginning, there wasn't that much of a difference, really. Um, but it became more clear in the early 90s, and then, of course, you had the explosion in 93. But very early on, it fitted in with uh, the stuff that I was reading, the stuff I was attracted to, having a sort of burgeoning interest in the occult, in, um, you know, all that kind of thing. When I was quite a young um, teenager. The, um, the sort of relative bookishness um, and literary influences, I suppose, um, appealed to me much more than 
thrash metal singing about the environment and drinking beer and stuff. So I was always naturally more drawn to that. Okay. Dark side. Okay, cool. I mean, were you uh, particularly aware of any of the... I mean, I mentioned some of the UK bands that we've been talking to. I mean, the early 80s. I mean, leaving aside Venom for a minute, I'll have to come on to Venom. Sure. And, uh, were you familiar, uh, like, you know, bands like Witchfind, Witchfinder General? Yeah, of course. Of course. And I was, yeah, I mean, you have to understand that, like, those records are very hard to get in 87, 88, 89. And if you found, like, I remember finding a copy of the first Angel Witch secondhand on vinyl for maybe three or four quid in 88. And that's what was like a, you know, they weren't repressed yet. They weren't easy to get. They weren't on CD. So you had to rely on finding the original. I mean, I can see from here a copy of Death Penalty, Witchfinder General over there. Um, all those records between 87 and 90, um, this was like hot pursuit through all the secondhand vinyl shops in Dublin to try and find Witchfinder General, Witchfind, Angel Witch. Um, realistically, any new wave of British heavy metal, Satan, um, Blitzkrieg, Mendes Prey, um, White Spirit, God, any, anything at all, any old neat records, uh, Avenger, um, you know, because the records were knocking around and they were so out of favor because death metal and thrash metal was so big. Yeah, sure. Um, so finding like uh, a vinyl copy of Given Bell or Stage Fright by Witchfinder was a big deal. And if you found them, they were only one, two or three quid because no one really was interested. But there were a handful of us here um, who certainly were interested. I mean, you know, um, Angel Witch was discussed in the same terms for me as Merciful Fate and, you know, um, that kind of did did anyone at the sorry, did anyone at the time actually sort of refer to these bands as black metal? I mean, it's yeah, me. <laughs> okay, cool. um, in a way, because well, well, see, there were certain fanzines, and there were certain. It became it became clear to us those of us who were kind of obsessed with the satanic occult imagery that, of course, the famous you know once you found a copy of. Uh, Angel Witch, you know, like maybe what was the one with the Batman's front sweet danger, maybe, or um, the finding that 12 inch and seeing, oh, okay, these obviously, you know, as you're immersing yourself in the lineage of heavy metal, you're aware that um, there's a whole host of pagan altar and stuff, these kind of bands mm-hmm. who were oh, yeah. using many of the same imagery that you were seeing in Beherit and Blasphemy. I'm only maybe not quite as brutal, but that sort of occult heavy metal lineage. Um, was really strong in certain bands. So uncovering, like I said, pagan altar demos or um, even Pentagram, okay, not, not from the UK, but... Yeah, um, I mean, Cloven Hoof and... Yeah, Cloven Hoof, finding that first Satan 7-inch, um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, aside from Venom, um, we're obviously, where they're sort of, you know, prime movers behind all of that kind of thing. Um, you know, like... <clears throat> can see from right here is the very first Venom 7 the original yeah um, Live Like an Angel yeah. just happened to be on the wall there and so like uh, there was a whole load of us who were kind of in a way I guess we're, we're pre-hipster hipsters so we were 13 14, 12 15 87 88 89 and we were people I wrote to people I traded with and we were really fascinated with trying to find new way British remote records kind of before it was super or cool or something like this and also Merciful Fate because the records were hard to get because everything was just thrash and death metal so if you found a copy of Melissa um, it was like the fucking Holy Grail you know but they were difficult to find Venom records were hard to find 
Um, all those relays, before they got repressed and black metal sort of breathed new life into them. So certainly um, I have quite, I won't say a big collection of Russian but certainly quite a lot, which I bought between 87 and 90, that I found for next to nothing. Like I said, which finder journal that was Angel, which 12 inches, the album, the album, of course. Well, of course, Scream and Bleeding as well. Um, and so, and they were big influences, um, you know, uh, and they, it kind of dovetailed very nicely with the kind of second wave of black metal. And then from then, sort of getting into, you know, there was also all the American bands like Omen and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Then UA British American had that which dovetailed with that, but specifically that sort of occult old English. Um, you know, satanic and white bishop and metal thing was very influential. Um, you know, I think also a demon as well. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm in touch with demon actually. Yeah, they're they're yeah, also yeah. they're they're going to sort to me at some point. And so you you yeah, think yeah. they're 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 a big person? Uh, th- those sort of bands are a big influence on you and what you've done. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't. You've got, it's hard to hear the sound of them in primordial. It's not really in the, They're not really in primordial, but definitely between myself and a bunch of other the early sort of Irish black metal scene people in the late 80s, early 90s um, pursuing and finding those records was really important and um, we were just, yeah, a whole a, a small bunch of us were really obsessed with um, this old new way of shipping that sound and like I said, bands like Witchfinder Germano, Witchfinder and Satan and stuff and, and certainly they were the sort of authenticity. Like, I think New Irish Heavy Metal is really interesting because it kind of got done down by the revisionism that happened in, in post-80s, post-77 punk, but with Sounds Magazine and, you know, all that kind of stuff. In that New Irish Heavy Metal was, was the genuine working class movement. And if you look at New Irish Heavy Metal, seven inches, they outnumber punk seven inches, probably five to one with independent seven inches. Um, it was much more of a working class movement than the sort of fashion um, middle class student movement I think in the UK you know um, and it's been sort of dumbed down as a sort of because um, it's not cool it's fun cool whatever um, but it was a real genuine cultural zeitgeist moment you know that sort of 78 to 81 New British Heavy Metal moment and I think it just inspired everything and everybody you know Slayer like Metallica whatever the origins of death metal and the fact that so many of those bands had this very distinct occult imagery um, you know distilled from Sabbath I think is mm. very important consequentially we have none <laughs> in Ireland I don't know why well, okay so, yeah, fair enough I mean we've got I've got to mention Venom um, yeah, uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on Venom that's possibly my favourite band ever okay um, Venom is Venom is black metal anybody who said it isn't hasn't a fucking clue simple as that but they have an album called Black Metal what do you want um, it's only people who grew up in the maybe with the idea that everything was distilled through whether it sounded like Battles in the North or not to disagree with the principle um, of course you can argue the toss about who, who is and who isn't a Satanist whatever that meant in the 90s it wasn't really the point um, but yeah I mean Venom was the you know that sort of prime mover the the original um uh, outrageous sort of accident that this sort of face that launched a thousand ships, you know, without Venom, without this image on the background. Mm. And um, it's hard to, I think it's hard for people to really put it into perspective how brutal Welcome to Hell is, you know, put it into the perspective of the time everything is twin guitar harmonies, uh, you know, 
set to the backdrop of you know Lizzie Wishbone Ash style harmonies. Um, okay, British Steel changed metal a bit in eighty with the you know the with the chunk, um, which wasn't really there in the seventies. Um, but it's it's not punk. I mean, even though I think Kronos sort of has revised his opinion, I think in the time, and maybe they're influenced by some of the aggression of punk. But in eighty eighty one, you don't even you know Discharge aren't making waves yet. Four conflict in press. You've got seventy seven. One banana, two banana, three banana, four punk. You know, mm. um, and I mean that in the most disrespectful way. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Sex Pistols, fair enough, uh, but like I think it's you know that did change an awful lot of things. But Venom is like this. You know, if you, there's a great podcast, uh, Neat Records podcast called Louder, Harder, Faster. That's on Spotify. You should listen to. And it goes back to the beginning, um, and the uh, presenter is the guy who used to do the Hot and Heavy Express um, radio show back in the eighties. It's brilliant. And they were like, literally, you know, Neat Records were um, a, a talent agency in the beginning, but all sorts of people who then f- hit upon this idea that, oh, you know, I think I think Tigers Pantang and Raven was first. And then they hit on the idea that, oh, people are buying this, these seven inches of this new music. And then Venom, I think, uh, Conrad Bronos was working in the, in the label. They got connected to some studio and kind of went, hey, I've got a band. And there you go. And if you listen to the Venom demos, uh, from 79 and 80 yeah they're a bit more boogie rock like well mm. but by the time we hit Welcome to Hell Welcome to Hell is like I'm just a sledgehammer listen to Open Sons I say no in our record nothing sounds like that in 80, 81 it's one of the most shocking pieces of um, uh, music at the time ever it's, it's so extreme and then the iconic artwork and the imagery um, you know, it's those two records are out even they're before Killer More before Show No Mercy before everything Welcome to Hell of Black Metal and they changed literally everything you can see the, you could probably pinpoint the moment when Slayer heard Blood Venom. They went from wearing like red and black Bumblebee style t-shirts and sort of like spandex things between guitar to like leather. And We're going to do the leather and spikes and yeah. Yeah, so, so Venom brought all of that into sharp focus and literally inspired everything, you know. Um, whether it's Sodom or Destruction or like Slayer Metallica. So Venom is the first um, and without them I think everything would be very, very different. You know, the Battery album. Everything, really. Just it literally stems from that imagery, that seven-inch, that's before the Welcome Welcome Dwell, and that picture. I mean, it introduced an aggression and brutality back to the music. But maybe, um, you know, the 70s is sort of distilled with um, too much, too much, I suppose, the aspiration to be always better and better musicians. Um, Venom brought this primitivism back to me. And then in the 90s, where people like us or black metal fans um, were tired of wherever death metal was going with MTV and everything, and it was time to bring it back to primitivism mm. and orthodoxy and single mindedness. And um, like, I'm still very proud of the fact that my views on black metal haven't progressed an inch in 30 odd years. Nothing. Um, I'm exactly the same as 32, three years ago. And that's the way black metal should be. It's not meant to progress or evolve or change. Or if you want to add addendums to post-wave black metal, that's fine. Do it, but it's not black metal. It's not orthodox black metal. And it never changes. Not meant to. Um, and people who understand, understand that. And if you don't understand that, that's all right. And I'm very proud of being as ignorant uh, and um, having as you know no tolerance for... Uh, it, it, all those things as I did in 91 so and it, it sounds ridiculous to somebody outside of the bubble of what 
black metal inspired you no, to be or this was that's just how it is the, actually no this is really interesting and it's it's going off on kind of a tangent i wanted to go off on but sure. but later on but i mean um this idea of uh orthodoxy yeah uh, is, is is an interesting one because i know dial's got a a really specific idea of what black metal is to him and um and that's fine and he's not not a big fan of of post black metal and and things like that Uh, and and we are going to be speaking to those let's just talk about what you mean by orthodoxy because i mean i mean witch find don't sound like primordial and they don't sound like venom well, let's clear it up. Black metal has no sound other than the fact that it's metal. Um, Mr. Fire doesn't sound like, um, you know, Revenge. Yeah. Um, Running doesn't sound like Merciful Fate. Or, you know, like the, the, the sound of it got framed by Norwegian Black Metal in 93. But even still, Burzum doesn't really sound like Mayhem. Um, no. So there were all these bands coalescing uh, in this cultural zeitgeist moment between like 89, 88 and 91, 92. Yeah. And the principles, the principles I suppose were um, this obsession with the satanic, arcane, occult, aesthetic imagery in, in some cases, very real idealism um, and, you know, sort of magical occult um, infatuation that comes with um, the sort of impetuosity of youth of the scene at the time and being infatuated with all of those things and um, them becoming like some sort of philosophical grounding, I suppose. I would look at back at them despite um, your um, youthful exuberance in analysing what everything meant, but certainly um, they pushed you off in the direction of um, a sort of form of individualism um, occult individualism, but we call it libertarianism, maybe even, um, that still has some principles you can apply to the modern day. Now, things changed when you have the orthodoxy. Let's say the fundamental orthodox bands in the late 90s, early 2000s, who began to view like Satan as an actual um, corporeal entity, so to speak. Yes. You know? um, whereas for people like me, the old principle was that the Luciferian ideal was, if, if we want to go back into all this stuff, was um, a it was principally um, a sort of ident- a fundamental identification with um, it wasn't a real corporeal thing. What it didn't it wasn't it didn't embody anything. It was a sort of mythological identification with um, going against the grain, being the you know, the, um, the opposer, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that sort of Luciferianism, whatever you want to call it, represented the rebel spirit in man, all this kind of stuff, which then morphed into, you know, the devil had the horns of Loki and the hooves pan, and you sort of began to understand that he was the amalgamation of pre-Christian um, rebels in a pantheon of broader pre-Christian civilization and their gods, you know. Um, but so that so for me it was more like a symbolic identification with these things that you, you identified with. You didn't actually believe that these things were real. That changed. Or some of the orthodox bands in the late nineties, early two thousands, the Funeral Mists and Ultra Mods and Watanes, I think maybe took um, a bit more of a biblical, literal interpretation of some mm-hmm. things. I wouldn't want to put words in their mouth. Um, but knowing them, 
Um, and that's um, that was their perspective. Uh, but I think in terms of black metal orthodoxy, I think it's two different things. There's a religious orthodoxy, uh, you know, and then there was the orthodox idea of relationship to what black metal represented, which was the idea that it was this one thing never changed, never evolved, never moved on, was uh, like an immovable object. And that's what it was. It didn't matter how you related to it. It was up to you to look at it from a different angle. That's always what it was, the same thing. And that's, for me, what it always has and will be. It doesn't progress, doesn't evolve, doesn't move. It's like this um, monolith in my um, creative life. Okay, so, I mean, those bands that started off with that orthodoxy and then moved into something else, for you, they've stopped being black metal. Um, no, I mean, it's it, it's like, say, for example, I love Alcest, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the guys, I, lo- I love the band. It's, if people want to call them post something or other, it's no problem creating new creations, um, whatever it is you want to do. You can go pagan black metal, you can go this, blah, blah, blah. You can, you can make all these, you can, you know, you can discuss Death Heaven or whatever it is you want to do. That's fine, you know. Um, you, everyone has the freedom of association in that respect. Yeah, um, people are free to listen to what they like. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, of course. But the tradition of black metal uh, for me, um, it just that's just what it is. And if you want to add the prefixes and suffixes or whatever, um, that's okay. It just ceases to be um, the, the, it, it in its purest essence. Yeah. Um, and that's that's okay. That's what people want to take it. Look at Catatonia. Once upon a time, Catatonia for their uh, demo. Absolutely, yeah. What about, um, what, about, still, what about Primordial then? Well, Primordial, Primordial in that sense, we all came from the second wave of black metal, but we never, like our blurb, our things we talked about at the time, uh, we never stated clearly, we, we, we sat down and talked about it, and we never stated Primordial as like a black, black metal band. You know, it was clear we were like sort of adjacent or part of that scene, but it was kind of like, pagan black metal or um we were i was on i was now how could we say aware of what the orthodoxy meant to me and also aware that memorial didn't quite fit exactly perfectly into what that represented because we were singing about um history and culture and nationalism and um Irish mythology and pagan mythology, um, and not about even though there are references to Satan and Lucifer and early primordial stuff. Yeah, it, it's not it's not what it's it's not what it's singling about. So I felt uncomfortable calling it black black metal, but at the same time, it's quite obvious that that's more or less what we were. You know, when yeah, yeah, you know, you're seventeen, seventeen you're eighteen, splitting hairs with yourself. You know? Yeah, yeah. I say I'm, I'm I'm not that interested in sort of delineating things in. Yeah. quite that way but anyway so you signed with cacophonous yeah um so that would have been early 90s 93 ish yeah 93 i guess um we had a couple of things on the table and then 93 we made our demo and shortly after that neil um got in touch with us actually because of danny from cradle of phil okay interesting neil the demo said have a listen to this band and shortly after that neil started to get in touch and yeah we worked out recording of the first album um 
think in early 94, I guess. But yeah, we signed a good girlfriend, I think, at the end of 93. Yeah. It's interesting because they've, they've sort of come and gone over the years, haven't they? Because every so often, cacophonists sort of seem to make a, yeah. uh, a resurgence and then, and then don't. Okay, cool. Okay, so t- talk to me about cacophonists. What, what, what were they like as a label at the time? Um, yeah, I mean, it's Neil was, um, you know, they signed so many great bands. I mean, Gehenna, Cradle of Phil, Balsa Goth, Dionicus, um, Desai, um, after the first album. There were so many great bands and Goffness, it was a kind of no brainer at the time. Neil came over to Dublin, 94. You know, we hung out met with us. We had a great sort of personal relationship. Um, and then I think what happened is that Cradle really blew up and that sort of changed the label a bit at the end of 94, 95. I think they were taken by surprise at how big vampires started getting. And um, I think we sort of, well, I mean, at the time, you know, made the first album come out, we didn't really do press. We, we didn't really know anything about trying to get on tours or playing live or the fundamental structures of whatever was in the music industry at the time. We, you know, we recorded it on two, uh, uh, two like, two half-inch reels and two eight-track machines. We had no clue about anything. We had to remix it in the Academy Studios where, you know, Paradise Lost and that and that. And, like, it was very, very much virgin territory for everybody. Um, but somehow out of it came the first album, the end of 94, I think, in Brahma. Uh, still really proud of it. There's some really black, black metal songs on mm-hmm. that, The Fires, you know, To the Dawn and stuff. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Cacophonous was... Um, just perfectly situated in that moment of time to really capitalise on this scene that was just about to explode and Neil had great bands um, and you know I mean did, did you did you feel that there was any kind of UK scene at the time yeah sure I mean you look back at an old Terrorizer or an old whatever 93 and there's you know there were loads and loads of Dead Christ mm. um, Cradlogs A Thus Defiled yeah, um, fucking. I'd have to dredge my memory. Uh, uh, Raid of Erebus and Hecate Enthroned, and yeah, Hecate Enthroned. We toured with Hecate Enthroned in '95, yeah. It's I, um, Reign of Erebus. Goddamn, yeah. There was, there was, there was quite a few bands around. Um, Great obviously being the sort of. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting just that the the kind of narrative that I'm getting from quite a lot of people, including Dial, um, is that basically there was Venom. And then Cradle, and then not a lot of stuff until Winter Fill Up. And I, that's not what I remember of the 90s, because I remember all of those bands that you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, they were... It is... It, I'm, not, I'm not sure I entirely disagree with Dale. It's in, it, what's very odd is that you have Venom, right? You have all the new Air British Metal bands, and then when it comes to Thrash, the UK... I mean, I think Hell is quite important. And early yeah. Sabbat. Great band. And Sabbat, yeah. If you talk to Andy Sneak, it's a good person to talk to. But those those first two Sabbat demos are more or less black metal. They're ferocious. Yeah. I'd include the first couple of Onslaught albums. Yeah, sure. The first two Onslaught. I mean, Onslaught is a bit more kind of, always a bit to discharge as well. But certainly Power From Hell and for, well, Power From Hell, definitely. Um, Death Wish, Demon Preacher, is a fucking big record at the time for me. Um, I don't know if you know that record. It's uh, maybe 88, 89. That's, very, a, that's uh, actually a new one on me. Sorry, what, what was that one? Death Wish, Demon Preacher. 
Deathwish Demon Preacher. Excellent. I, I, I love think, hearing you. I think okay. Or like from Brighton, Bristol or something. I think it's on CMG Records. Um, I have a copy of it. There's no copy of it here somewhere. Um, cool. For me, you've got the first Sabbat, Power From Hell, and then Deathwish. But the thing is that most of the UK thrash scene was Acid Rain and Zentrix. And mm. I mean, and even, you know, until Death Metal, you get Carcass and Ball Throw and all that kind of stuff. After Venom, Venom was sort of overtaken by bands from Europe and America and mm. Sweden and stuff. And Scandinavia. England sort of fell behind a little bit. They still had, you know, of course, the best heavy metal band, Priest and Maiden and stuff. But they never really, didn't really kind of drink from the, the well, shall we say, of the, how can we say, like, your new British heavy metal sort of died away in 83. And then from 83, as maybe until Dale says, about 92, 93, when it comes to evil or dark or satanic stuff, there's a handful of things. Maybe Sabbat is probably a very good thing to look at. First two demos, first two albums. Yeah. Um, Onslaught, debut Death Wish. But mostly in 88, 89, the UK scene seemed to me to be, you know, Zentrix and kind of stuff. Or, yeah. And uh, I mean, death metal and grind and that's. There's quite a lot of UK stuff there, but not so much black metal and. No, there's a great there's a great band called Disincarnate. Yes. I'm not sorry, not, not Disincarnate, Necrosanct. Sorry, not Disincarnate, Necrosanct. Necrosanct, another one that's new to me. Okay. They're they're like a sort of somewhere between blasphemy and Boltrower. Okay. One, ninety-two, like almost like war metal. Yeah, they sound um, horrible. I already like them. Oh, it's really good. Uh, it's still on my playlist, Necrosanct. I still listen to them quite often. Um, and they're almost like the, the link between Boltrower and, um, I guess, yeah, Blasphemy or something like this. Um, yeah, I mean, and then after Cradle, you have a lot of bands who try to follow Cradle with the same sort of yeah. motifs and stuff. But it is true that you have Cradle and then what really... When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. What other English bands sort of followed on from that? It's as if there wasn't many bands trying to do the sort of dissection kind of thing, or there was there many bands trying to do the war metal kind of thing. Dust of Wilder, probably a band you should have got. No, no, I'm in, in touch with Dust of Wilder. Um, Dust of Wilder. Demos, demos were great. The second demo was great. Um, I, I think they might have been on the first gig I ever went to, like back yeah, in '96 or something. Um, so yeah, yeah Thus to Fall, absolutely brilliant band, love them. Uh, and yeah, I've been in touch with them, so that's kind of cool. Um, what do you what do you think about Cradle of Filth? I'm a big fan, um, by the way. I'm just yeah. I mean, I guess what happened was that for black metal purists who were involved in the underground, where where they went after '96, you know, all over every magazine, and you know, doing the dishes wearing both paint and oh stuff. yeah no I've forgotten about that yeah. this kind of stuff really turned most of the black metal scene against them um, that was Kerrang wasn't it the dishes thing yeah but at the same time um, now looking back 
I think that principle is a great record. I think Vampire is strong. After that, I'm kind of left on the shore. But, you know, when you really look at the sort of influences Danny is taking from the Gothic literature, the Byrons and the mm. Stokers and whatever else, it totally makes sense where they went with this sort of almost Victorian kind of uh, Gothic. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, Danny had a lot to do with us getting signed. We used to write, talk on the phone all the time. So, you know, and I became very good friends with Nick, with Barker, obviously, over the years. You, you played um, with, didn't you? In yeah, yeah. Twilight I, I, of the Gods. I made an album with him. I made an album with Nick, uh, Twilight of the Gods, and Nick mm. is a, you know, very dear friend. And yeah, I mean, I think they just, they weren't sure where they were going in the 90s. They were just bombarded with how huge and big they were getting, and some of the scene resented them for it. But at the same time, um, listen back to those old records, and yeah, they they've got something without a doubt principle is a great record um there is there is a thing in black metal though isn't there that if you if you sell copies then somehow that breaks the orthodoxy i've never got that i'm like yeah i mean you know i i, I dim it cradle as much more has more substance music than dimmu for example i think what it was i think it's the same with every scene probably in folk or fucking jazz or whatever when something becomes too fucking big um, the people who were there at the beginning sort of turned their backs on it. I mean, I remember having a ticket to go and see Nirvana before they were big for like three quid. And then within a year, they were playing to 15,000 people. And I didn't really like Nirvana much, but, but I'm sure for um, fans of sub pop and Nirvana and Mud Honey and Tad, they were just like, oh, fuck's sake, here we go. And I suppose it was something of that to how big Jimmu and Cradle got. And um, having said that, they, the weird, the irony of wearing a fucking Judas Priest Iron Maiden shirt and complaining about Cradle being big is just... Yeah, and, yeah, that was the thing I always go, like, seriously, like, I imagine have sold way more records than this. Um, yeah. Or, or Metallica or whoever, but... Yeah, yeah. whatever okay. you want, yeah. 